Blog Talk Radio. edition on the Fed Network. I'm Don Henderson, and of course, we're looking forward to another sports chatter evening. Got a good guest online. Roy Cummings always with us, and of course, Ira Coffin's going to join us a little bit to talk about the Hall of Fame. We've got a bunch of good guests during the course of the night, 
And uh, we're going to get to them in just a couple of seconds, but let's go to our executive producer, Frank Carroll, because he's got a dedication to get onto the air. Go ahead, Frank. Yeah, Don, the fighting uh, words somebody wants to announce the, the arrival of the lovely Miss Madison Ray Horton, born this morning at 12.16 a.m., uh, weighing seven pounds, six ounces, and very happy parents. Uh, congratulations to Hunter and Paige Horton. Um, Hunter is a very good, uh, a good, very good friend of ours, a very good uh, listener, and always has uh, always there to pitch in whenever we need him. And we also want to say that uh, next week, starting on Tuesday at 7:30 to 8:30, there'll be a, a new uh, program on called Tea Time which will handle all the AFL uh, players uh, and guests, uh, NHL guests also. So uh, um, that'll be uh, 7.30 to 8.30 on here, right here on uh, Blog Talk. Absolutely great. On, and, and on the Fighting Network. Yeah, big girl, yeah. Frank. Big girl, seven pounds. Yes, sir. Plus. Very pretty girl. Yeah. Good. Well, Frank, thank you very much. Let's get right to the show. Roy Cummings, we always start off with our number one sports fan, and that is Roy Cummings in Tampa, Florida. We talk about, obviously, the Bucks. We talk about the Lightning and all the rest of the things that are happening in the National Football League, the National Hockey League, and around the country. A tough, tough week for uh, Tom Brady this week. FTX took him down the drain for $45 million, and uh, unfortunately, <laughs> His wife went for another 686,000 shares uh, also on FTX. So they've had a tough week there. And his record of consecutive games from high school through the pros of never having a losing system went down the drain in uh, Roger Henner, beautiful Atlanta. So, Roy, give us a little idea. As the Buccaneers go into the playoffs on a shaky foot, what do you think? Yeah, well, uh, we might understand a little bit why Tom Brady's been uh, been been kind of <laughs> struggled to focus this year. You lose forty five million dollars, that's tough. Although, in his situation, um, I don't know. That's it, it, hey, losing forty five million is tough. It's two years Trump worth change. of salary for him, really. Uh, I think he can somehow afford it, along with uh, <laughs> what he and Giselle were making. Uh, but you know what? Anybody who's been in the market this year has struggled. So. Uh, He's really not any different than anybody else in that regard. But, um, you know, back to football, hey, maybe that's a reason for him to stick around and play for another year or two. He's got to make his money back. So uh, that that could happen and uh, won't be surprised if it happens either. But right now he's got to worry about uh, the Dallas Cowboys and a uh, game at home next uh, Monday night against uh, a team that a lot of people seem to like, although I still think that the Buccaneers guys could be the most dangerous team in the playoffs. I, are they the best team? No. Could they be the best team? Certainly. That, the potential is there for this team uh, to go a long way. It really is. And, uh, in fact, they could get to the, to the Super Bowl. It's really just a matter of Tom Brady focusing and playing at his highest level, uh, everybody else on that team playing at their best level. Uh, the, the talent is there. Uh, we know that. We've seen them uh, in spurts play at, at a very high level this year, both defensively and offensively. And, you know, lately in the last couple of games, the defense has been taking the ball away, creating some other opportunities for the offense. And, you know, we all know that that's a great formula for winning football games. So if that can continue to happen here in the playoffs, I mean, look, I, I'm I'm not that impressed with Dallas. I'm not impressed at all, really, with Dallas. Uh, certainly impressed with um, 
uh, with the, the Eagles and uh, and the 49ers. Um, but other than that, I'm not sure there's a team out there that I would say that uh, is better than the Buccaneers right now. So they got a chance to do something special. Uh, the playoffs should be interesting. Um, you got game, you know, games coming up starting Saturday, and uh, we'll see where it goes. Roger, if Dallas said our quarterback throwing another game like they threw uh, over the weekend, uh, I would say then the Buccaneers have an excellent shot. I, I don't know that he can play two games as bad as he plays the game on Sunday night. Well, yeah, very true, Don. And uh, I will say this. I was looking at the post today. Steve Servi uh, picks the uh, uh, Eagles and the 49ers in the NFC Championship and then in the AFC, the Bills and the Chiefs, and he picks the Bills to uh, uh, win and the 49ers to win and the Bills to win the Super Bowl. I mean, that's that's one writer that I uh, respect a lot. But uh, I will say uh, that uh, I I don't I think that the Bucks can and will beat the Cowboys, and I think Mike McCarthy might be gone after that game. Uh, we uh, the other day uh, Charlie uh, Weiss was talking about coaches that are in the playoffs that are in a tenuous situation. Uh, Mike McCarthy's one. Uh, there's a, a a number of uh, of other ones, but. Uh, uh, I don't. I yeah, there. I think the the Bucks may be one. Okay, with Todd. What do you think, Roy, about that? His, his future uh, w- with the Bucks. I you know I, I think it should. I think it, look, and I'm the, I am the usually the last person to uh, you know call for someone's head as a head coach. I, I don't like to see people fired. I think teams fire coaches way too often. Uh, all sports, yeah, certainly in the NFL. Um, but in this case, I, I honestly think uh, a change would be warranted if you've got a better choice. Look, as I've said it, you know, repeatedly. I'm going to sound like a broken record to anybody who listens on this, listens to this show regularly. You guys are going to hear it again and probably roll your eyes. But there are coordinators in this league, and there are mm-hmm. head coaches. Todd Bowles is a coordinator. I, I don't think he has the ability to really rally an entire football team. He's a very good defensive uh uh, coordinator, uh, architect, and uh, and risk taker in that regard. But offensively, uh, he doesn't really know. I, I don't think he just. I just don't see that he has the personality to really capture a team and and administrate uh, the way a head coach needs to in this league. Um, he's taken. Look, he took a Rolls Royce of a football team here uh, that was missing a you know a couple of uh, rims maybe. And uh, at the end of the day. Uh, it, it's been looking like a, a you go back, you know, uh, just throughout mo- most of the season. That that's incredible. And so, look, I think some changes have to be made. I think if Todd Bowles is not gone, then maybe Byron left, which is. And here's the other thing: uh, you've got to look and see what what happens with Tom Brady. I, I think that may determine a lot. Is Tom Brady leaving? Uh, is he coming back? If he's coming back, he's probably going to demand some changes himself. Uh, but I think Todd Bowles' uh, neck is on the line here. It, it, look, it hasn't been a good season for these guys. They've been horribly inconsistent with a team that is capable of doing much better, and usually that falls on the head coach. Um, you know, do you give him another year? Because uh, it's been kind of an odd season for Tom Brady going through a divorce, obviously losing a lot of money in uh, the FDX investments. You know, perhaps, but uh, I will not be surprised at all uh, if there are changes. I think there should be at least a change on the offensive side. Uh, you know, if you can find a, a better head coach type, 
um, go get him. You know, if Sean McVay is out there and he's not happy in uh, in Los Angeles, that, that wouldn't be a, a bad choice. And, you know, the other thing is, if, here's the other thing, guys. If Sean Payton wants to play in wants to coach in Tampa with Tom Brady, go get him. I, I'm not keeping Todd Bowles over that guy. I'm not keeping Todd no. Bowles over several coaches that are out there on the market right now. So uh, I, I think he is in some trouble, uh, and I think he's earned the I think he's earned uh, the position he's in on the hot seat. Well, an unusual situation in L.A. Uh, McKay has already told all of his coaches that they are free to negotiate. You don't normally see that. Uh, at this stage of the season, the end of the year, uh, you don't usually see it, uh, an ownership and a team give all their coaches a chance to go out and negotiate be, uh, before the season's even uh, into the second round of the playoffs. So that was a surprise. And McVeigh also himself has not uh, stepped forward and said, you know, he had that big contract offer from CBS last year or, uh, or Fox. I don't remember which one. Uh, he turned that down. Maybe he's reconsidering that. Uh, so that's certainly a possibility. But the other thing, uh, Roger, that you touched on, uh, and I didn't hear Weiss myself, but uh, this is the same situation that Todd got into, Bulls I'm referring to, with the Jets. He had a team that mm-hmm. got to the playoffs the first year he was there, and then it just continually went downhill. And, uh, you know, so he, he's – I agree with Roy. I think it's got to be nip and tuck as to what they decide to do, whether it's uh, offensive coordinator, whether it's change head coaches – but I think they definitely have to make a change. Well, yeah, and, and I think what, uh, Roy, what you were saying, uh, I, it would not surprise me if Sean Payton is back with the Saints and, uh, and Dennis Allen goes right back to being defensive coordinator if Sean Payton feels re-energized, okay? Uh, I also uh, think that uh, McVay, I, I would not be surprised at all if he gets out of uh, coaching. Uh, a lot has, has changed. You know, he's accomplished. He got a Super Bowl. Uh, he's married now. He's a young guy. I, it, it sounds like he and his wife are, you know, want to raise a family. You know, and that can change everything. Let's face it. You know, and uh, and he's made a lot of money. He'll make a lot of money uh, in broadcasting. Uh, so, uh, but you're, you're, I also agree with you. And I, I look at uh, the Bills. Leslie Frazier was the head coach. Not a good one, but an excellent defensive coordinator. Uh, uh, Sean uh, was a very good, they, you know, uh, the Bills head coach. He was a very uh, a good defensive coordinator, position coach. Uh, he used to call the signals uh, for the defense when Jim Johnson was the uh, defensive coordinator for the Eagles. And then he was with Carolina, and he's a great head coach. So you're exactly right. Just because you're a really good or great coordinator doesn't mean that you're a good or or even sometimes marginal head coach. Roy, one of the other things I like to bring up, uh, when you talked about it, you think, you know, maybe the Buccaneers with uh, a little bit of expertise are going to be able to get a little further than people think. The whole league has been that way all year. I mean, Minnesota, for instance, playing against the Giants. Uh, you know, one week – they play super football, and the next week they're terrible. So, but that's been sort of the, the level of the National Football League all year. So I think you have to look at that aspect of it uh, just as much as you did during the regular season. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, look, you can flip a coin as to which team you think. I think the AFC is a little bit more easy to gauge. I mean, uh, clearly Buffalo and uh, 
and uh, uh, Kansas City are at the top, I think. But um, just because the Eagles, you know, have the, have the number one seed and, and the 49ers look really strong doesn't mean that they're going to get there. You know, it's just it's just one of those things, one of those seasons where it, it's really hard to gauge. I mean, look, I, I won't be surprised if the Giants win a couple of games in the playoffs. They're capable, um, just like the Bucks. You know, you get hot, get the right matchups, get the right bounces in the playoffs. Look, there's a lot of people out there that are hurt, too. Uh, in the AFC, I mean, you're looking at, uh, you know, uh, uh, Baltimore may not have their quarterback. Dolphins won't have their quarterback. So, you know, it, it's, it, there's a lot of things going on out there. And, it's again, it's, uh, it's a real toss-up. It's really what, you know, it's kind of what makes the NFL playoffs so exciting uh, is that you have these matchups and, and truly anyone can win. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's very, uh, it's very intriguing what, uh, what could go on here. So, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I think anything could happen. It uh, wouldn't surprise me at all if you got, you know, two teams that nobody expects to win a game, uh, in the NFC title, uh, game, uh, especially in the NFC. I, I think there it's, uh, it's wide open. Roger. Well, I, I think the uh, Eagles, uh, they have a real shot uh, because they're going to have uh, pretty much everybody back that's on the injured list. And uh, the Hurts played with, through, with pain uh, of, on Sunday. That was a lousy game. Uh, Giants didn't play their uh, best players. Um, I think that the, it's, it's going to be a, 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 really a telling tale in that Minnesota Giants game. Whether the Giants are for real, or and or Minnesota is is not the team that uh, only had what four losses, so uh, well, only time will tell. Yeah, that's the team that I think is is the most interesting to watch, uh, at least in this first round. Here is is uh, Minnesota. Look, people have called them frauds. I, I wouldn't go that far. No. Uh, you know, they, they did win their division, uh, as you said. They only lost four games, but. They've looked pretty bad in a lot of them, but they've also made some incredible comebacks, obviously, in a couple of games too. So um, I think they're very, a very intriguing team. And uh, for those who think they're frauds, well, then I guess you think maybe the Giants are going to beat them. I, again, I think it's all quite possible. But, you know, that game could be 42-7 to in favor of Minnesota, and it could be 38-34 uh, to in favor of the Giants. We'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, that's a real tough one to call because you did with, the, with both teams, it's hard to know what you're going to get. And I think with the Giants, it's largely because they're, you know, a, a very young quarterback. But with the, the Vikings, it's like, you know, for whatever reason, they just have these, these lapses that, uh, that really put them in a, you know, behind the eight ball at times. And for the most part, they've been, been able to overcome it. But uh, I, I wouldn't consider them frauds, but also wouldn't consider them favorites to win any of the games either. Well, Roger, I think one of the other things you could talk a little bit about is the fact that uh, – the people upstairs in the National Football League and in television I thought that Mr. Brady should be the prime game, and they, they put him all the way in the back. So everybody in the country is going to get a chance to see him play if it's his final game uh, in the National Football League. They're going to get a chance to see him. Well, absolutely, and I'll tell you a, a quick uh, interesting story. On uh, Sunday at Margaritaville, uh, no, Saturday night, I'm sorry, I had uh, two couples. Uh, and they uh, were um, originally from Yugoslavia and left in the revolution. Uh, and uh, one of the uh, women went to Sweden. The other one came to the U.S. And then, they, you know, they met their husbands and everything. And they, one couple still lives in Sweden, but they were over here visiting. 
and they were so excited that they, especially the husband, that they were going to the Falcons-Bucks game on Sunday so that they could see Tom Brady. So, <laughs> That's quite interesting. <laughs> yeah, people from Sweden, you know, that, yeah. that made their trip, and they hadn't seen each other, the couples, for 30 years. But, yeah. uh, you know, Don, I'll tell you, it's interesting how they pick these teams. They obviously are looking at the Bucks not necessarily on the caliber of the total play, but on Tom Brady being a draw on Sunday exactly. or uh, what Monday, and, and, and uh, Sunday Cowboys. night, Monday night. Yeah, and, and yep, the Cowboys. Let's not forget that. And the Cowboys, right? And the Cowboys. I mean, it's it's as much as as much as the. I mean, it's, to me, it, it's a no brainer. I mean, of all the games you've got out there, uh, it, it, there's no question that Brady against the Cowboys uh, is, is prime time. That you're not going to put that one on on Saturday afternoon at three o'clock. That's not happening. Um, you're putting that one on in prime time. That, that's a moral And I think going forward, uh, whatever the Bucks do, wherever they are, or wherever the, the Cowboys are, the next week they'll be uh, they'll probably be in the prime time again. And uh, depending time, on whether yeah. it's Sunday night or uh, possibly a Saturday night, but um, th- th- that will be whatever wherever those teams go. Now I don't know maybe there might be some switching to the AFC, but uh, I still think Tom Brady trumps all, Cowboys trump all. Everybody else falls in behind those two. All right. Well, we got. Uh, let's jump out of the football for a minute. Uh, Roy, you're big on the National Hockey League, always have been, and of course called the Lightning from the day they first came to Tampa, Florida, and have continued to uh, to cover the Lightning. Uh, tell us a little about your thoughts about where the Lightning are right now and where the National Hockey League is, and we'll talk about something else. Uh, NHL coming up on its all-star break, uh, and uh, and that's always a good opportunity for everybody to kind of catch their breath a little bit. And, uh, you know, right now the league is uh, the best team is clearly uh, Boston, a uh, tremendous team that uh, just can't seem to lose. Uh, the Lightning are doing, they're, you know, they're hanging in there and doing uh, what they need to do, which is uh, being a good prime spot uh, to have a home ice advantage in a, in a playoff matchup. Uh, we're, we're a long ways away from the playoffs, obviously, but, you know, if we're all in today, uh, they'd be in there, and I think they're very happy with where they are. And uh, you know, they know they've got uh, some work to do if they're going to beat a team like uh, uh, like Boston. But um, look, I think it's been a very in- interesting season. Um, you know, not much has changed, it seems, uh, from a year ago uh, for the most part. I mean, you, you look at a team like Edmonton, which has two of the top stars and two of the top point getters in the league, and Leon Draisaitl and Connor McDavid, and you know, they're just not tough enough to, to, to go out. And, I mean, they lost a game the other night, uh, you know, they, they, because their penalty, their power play doesn't work. They can't kill penalties. Um, you know, there's a there's a style in the NHL that has to be played, and uh, you see some of the bottom feeders in the league or what have been the bottom feeders, uh, teams like uh, Philadelphia, Buffalo, uh, Arizona, even trying to get there and doing it a little bit better than others. And um, that's what you gotta, that's what you got to shoot for. So, uh, it's been a it's been an interesting season. Um, you know, another team that, that doesn't seem to play real tough or tough enough at times. Islanders uh, struggling a little bit. The Rangers look like a an elite team. So we'll see where it goes. Um, you know, for hockey fans, uh, <laughs> nothing to be nothing to complain about. It's been a good season so far, and I'm sure it'll continue. Well, they tried to put Lou Lambeau on the on the rocks last night. Uh, they had the press conference in the new arena for. Uh, a special fan that came in, and uh, the owner said, look, he's, a, he's the man that takes care of the hockey. I take care of the team, 
as the owner. I don't know anything about anybody talking about him being – he may be of 80 years old yesterday, but he's not going to be replaced. <laughs> <laughs> Nor should he be. Nor should he be. Look, uh, they've done a good job there uh, of building a, a quality team. And, uh, you know, look, uh, Lou Lamorello has been around the league. Uh, th- there's a lot of guys. You know, look, you go to a Lightning game, you still see Scotty Bowman, uh, you know, hanging around. And, and when he is, the table is full. Um, there are certain people in this game, uh, much like, just like any sport, when, when they talk, people listen, and Lou Lamorello is one of those people. He knows how to build a team. Uh, he keeps he keeps everything uh, close to the vest. He doesn't let anything. Does out. he ever? Uh, yeah, no leakage there, and uh, and that's frustrating for reporters. But hey, you know what? He builds good hockey teams, and uh, he's got a success uh, success rate that's that's very high. So, absolutely, uh, whatever if he says it, and he and he wants it, he gets it. Well, t- talking of staying with the uh, NHL, uh, the Flyers. Team, it looks like uh, I don't manage the team. Yeah, well, no, but it looks like Tort, uh, his influence is starting to uh, bring the Flyers together. I mean, they've come from, uh, what, 10, 12, under 500. I, I think there are just two now. They won against, uh, what was it, Buffalo in a shutout the other night. But, uh, Roy, we got to say at least a couple of uh, words here about the uh, college football uh, championship uh, Monday night. Uh, 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 I think he's got a guy on the line right now ready to go. Yeah, okay, uh, real no, quick. It, it makes me well, worry that, look, I, I'm a big fan of the 12-team playoff, or I was until I saw that game. I, it makes me wonder <laughs> what it's going to be like. I, I mean, I'm starting to wonder if maybe we, you know, look, I hate to even say this, because I think the, the playoffs are a positive step forward. But I'm starting to wonder if maybe the, the bowl system with people voting uh, on, on the best team in the league wasn't the best way to go. Because uh, right now, if you're not an elite team in the SEC, you're not a national championship contender. Um, not even the best teams in the Big Ten. I mean, you got two there, that's it, Michigan and Ohio State. And every year maybe one of them looks pretty good and maybe Clemson looks pretty good. But – other than that, um, it, it, you really, I mean, unless you want Georgia-Alabama every year, uh, I'm not sure you're going to get a great game. So um, until Notre Dame and some of the other teams, USC, uh, UCLA, some of the other you know quality teams really bring it back and start playing at a higher level, uh, you could have some problems in terms of uh, what some of these games look like when the bigger play, when the longer, uh, uh, deeper playoff system comes around. So. Uh, we'll see. Couldn't agree with you more, and Roy. Thank better. you very much, as always, for the first half hour. Really great to have an opportunity week, every Roy. week to uh, to go over all the things that are going on. And I'll tell you, the championship game, Roger. I made midway through the second quarter, and I went to bed. Yeah, <laughs> so let's go right now. We switch gears. Let's <laughs> talk a little bit the National Football League, the Hall of Fame. Eric Hoffman, who's a contributor on ESPN, a longtime writer in Phil in uh, Tampa, Florida. And Ira, welcome to the show once again, and uh, you're back on the on the catbird seat. Uh, it's my pleasure, gentlemen. Now, uh, is Roy still on the phone? Uh, usually, he usually he ducks out for no, dinner. He, yeah, he ducked out. All right. Well, yeah. we were going to take a moment of silence because um, one of our great musicians died today suddenly. Um, a guy named Jeff Beck was a guitar player. Um, and a great one from Britain. So uh, Roy and I uh, went to a concert together to see him and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Um, that was a long time ago at the Sun Dome in Tampa. 
But anyway, this is a very busy time for yours truly because I'll be at the Bucking game uh, Monday night, and then I'm going to get up Tuesday morning and make the case for Ronde Barber to get a gold jacket. So uh, I'll, I'll try to get four hours sleep and, uh, and try to be uh, at my best Tuesday. You always Brother. will be, Ira. You always will be. The, what do you think about uh, some of the, the matchups? We were talking about it with uh, Roy. What do you think, Ira? Uh, I've, seen, I've seen better weekends, guys. I've seen better weekends. Um, I don't think Seattle's got uh, a chance in the world to go in San Fran and win that game. I don't. Um, you know, uh, the Chargers uh, and Jacksonville, not, not a terrible game. Not terrible. Uh, and I'll say this. If the Chargers don't show up, and that'll be a raucous crowd in, in, in Duval County, and if the Chargers don't show up as talented as they are with a hell of a young quarterback, I'm telling you, if I'm the Chargers owner and I got Sean Payton saying, hey, you know, I wouldn't mind coming over there and coaching that team, I, I think I'd make the move. Now, that's a lot of pressure on this Chargers coach. You know, his game management has come under a lot of scrutiny. Uh, some of his decisions, timeouts, things like that, going for it on fourth and four from his own 25 uh, early in a game. So he's got a lot to prove, this Staley. He's got talent. So we'll see what happens there. I think, to me, the most interesting game might be the Giants uh, going up to Minnesota. I think the Giants are a very lively underdog. Uh, Barkley is back. Uh, one of the great candidates for comeback player of the year. I vo- I just voted for uh, Dable as my coach of the year. Uh, although I tell you, I could have voted for five or six different guys. I could have. Right. But uh, I voted for Doug, Dable. Doug Peterson, for Campbell. Yeah, Peterson, very strong. Um, Shanahan, ten in a row with a seventh round draft pick uh, at quarterback. Um, Dan Campbell, Mike Tomlin did a hell of a job this year. Uh, Sirianni, of course. I mean, you almost can't go wrong. Um, yeah. And uh, of course, of course, Dable did a heck of a job uh, because the Giants stunk for a long time uh, before right. he took over. So uh, I am gearing up for Rondé Barber, gentlemen. It is uh, number three time around for Rondé. Darrell Rivas, gentlemen, is on the ballot for the first time eligible. Uh, Joe Thomas the great left tackle for the Browns. Boy, did he play for a lot of bad Cleveland teams. Oh, but did he ever. Proves. Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I, I take a second to... because uh, Barber, you know, you, you're the guy that's going to be the spokesman. Many people listening to our show right now don't realize uh, you're the one that's going to step up and make the presentation for Rondé Barber, as you mentioned, his third time up on the, on the docket. Uh, it's a tough procedure, uh, but it's in your back pocket. Well, you know, guys, you know that Buck fans, and, and this is true across the, the country, uh, they all think that their player is a shoe-in, uh, a no-brainer. And I tell you what, the more you look at Rondé Barber, the more he is a no-brainer. But, you know, I've had some Buck fans screaming about Mike Allstott and Mike Allstott a gold jacket. It's not going to happen, guys. That's not going to happen. Um, because these guys didn't see Allstott play, and they look at the statistics, and he, he doesn't jump out at you. 
you know, this is uh, not LaDainian Tomlinson uh, or, or uh, you know, Marshall Falk or something. Uh, he was a fullback. But anyway, guys, uh, there's a guy in Miami named Armando. He's been pushing for Zach Thomas. Uh, I think uh, this is his fourth time around. Um, so the Miami fans are screaming at him, you're doing a terrible job. Let somebody else do it. Well, guys, it's not that easy. And there's 15 candidates, modern day, and a maximum, I mean maximum, of five can get in on any one class. Well, guys, you don't have to be a straight A student in algebra to know that's 10 out of 15 guys that are disappointed every year. 10 out of 15. Um, And I share Rondé's passion, of course, and his disappointment for the first two years. But uh, I think he's got a pretty good shot uh, on Tuesday. Well, I know he's counting on you very heavily. Roger, you're up. Well, you know, I found it interesting, Ira, uh, that uh, a friend of mine – who's a, uh, a resource officer at uh, one of the middle schools, uh, he saw Marcus Allen at a high school basketball game in suburban Atlanta the other day and uh, was showing me a picture. So I had no idea Marcus Allen was living in this area now. I don't know if he's gotten married or not. He's, uh, you know, the, uh, he was there because the uh, woman he's with, the kids were playing uh, in the game. But, uh, you know, I found that interesting because I always thought he was just a West Coast guy, you know. But uh, the other well, I thing is uh, – yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, Mar- Marcus Allen, to me, he's very interesting, Marcus Allen. Um, tremendous college player, tremendous pro player with the Raiders. And then, you know, along comes Bo Jackson in, in the late 80s. And Marcus Allen, you know, he wasn't through yet. He had uh, he had his legs under him at that time, and apparently, the story that I'm hearing from a lot of people is that Al Davis, who was kind of uh, you know, not the old Al Davis that you and I remember as one of the old timers by that time, um, he got jealous of Marcus Allen that he was the man, uh, he was the face of the Raiders, and not. Al Davis, and for whatever, for whatever reason, he put, he put the great Marcus Allen in, in the corner, and he couldn't get any carries, and Davis never gave a reason, and then Marcus Allen went to the Chiefs with Joe Montana, and still had a couple of good years, so, of course, he, he was very involved in the O.J. Simpson trial case. That's right. You know, and, and, and his name kept getting coming up in the O.J. Simpson case. Marcus Allen, I'll tell you what, I've watched football for a long time, guys. If I got third and goal from the one-yard line, Marcus Allen might be the number one guy on my list to go over the pile and get that touchdown. Yeah, he was Well, the one thing that's been hereditary is that Mr. Davis' son's doing the same thing with his quarterback right now, and he's demolishing yeah. the Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. The you know what do Go you ahead, think Roger. about? Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. Uh, Ira, I wanted to get back to Doug Peterson. I think he you know really turned uh, Jacksonville around after the fiasco last year with Urban Meyer and everything. 
But uh, let me ask you, uh, what do you think about the future of Jacksonville? I personally think that they are going to be a real strong power in the AFC beginning next year. Do you agree with that? I I think they're uh, about to take over that division. Take over. And, I mean, they might might win it for the next five years. Um, Mm A couple of factors. They got a pretty good defense. They got a pretty good defense. And on the other side of the ball, Trevor Lawrence, say what you want. He's developed very nicely under Peterson. Oh, beautiful. Got tra- and Travis Etienne has turned out to be a good draft pick now that he's healthy. That's the kid out of Clemson that caught a lot of balls, and I believe he had 1,000 yards rushing this year, and he's got very good hands. Um, you know, they pick up maybe another receiver, another uh, offensive lineman. That team's not going anywhere, gentlemen, except up. And I think the crowd, um, you know, Saturday night, um, I, I think it's going to be tremendous uh, in, in Duval County. They are passionate fans. They haven't had a lot to cheer about in recent years. But um, you know what? They might be the best team in Florida out of the three teams right now. All right, well, let me ask you this. The, uh, the change, that, that, uh, listen, we were rule fans because he was at Temple and have known him for a long time. And, he had great success at Baylor, and I thought he was going to do a great job at Carolina. It didn't work out that way. But once they fired him, uh, the new coach, who really not really well-known nationally, uh, steps in. He's done a great job, and yet I don't hear any word. And, and also with the fact that they, they want to interview at least one or two minority for every head coaching job. Uh, I haven't seen too much of that either. But uh, he isn't getting any consideration at all. They're, they're talking about bringing people in from all over the place. You're right, and uh, it, it happens. Uh, Steve Wilkes did a very nice job. I believe he was six and six, which doesn't sound right. like a lot until you look at until you look at Carolina's roster and say, oh, there's there's not much here. There's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and they sent their best running back to San Francisco before he even had a That's chance right. to get his feet on the ground. Right. Um, so, it, you know, it reminds me of uh, when the Raiders, uh, Mark Davis hired, uh, uh, named Rich Versace at the interim, and people said, well, does he have a real chance to win the job? And and Mark Davis said, well, if he goes 11-1, and one, uh, I'd consider it. Well, yeah. that tells you right there he, he's got no chance. And I think the same thing happened. Uh, David Tepper is the owner in uh, Charlotte. He's a hedge fund manager. He's a mover and a shaker. And uh, when Wilkes stepped up and they asked him the same question, hey, does he really have a chance to keep this job uh, in 2023? Tepper said, well, if he's, uh, you know, if he's exceptional. Well, you know what? I think he might have been exceptional. Uh, I, agree. I agree. Uh, I agree. But yeah. I don't think he's got a chance. I don't think, I don't think Wilkes has any chance. And he's probably never going to get another chance as a head coach. And I don't like it when an owner uh, sort of uh, makes up his mind ahead of time, you know, with 10, 12 weeks left in the year, and he's already decided this guy's got no shot to get the permanent job. I mean, that, that, that's, that's being a bad owner. Roger? Well, yeah, they're talking about the, uh, the two uh, Eagles coordinators, you know, that are getting, uh, especially right. the, uh, the Jonathan Gannon. He's getting a lot of uh, notoriety, yeah. and I, I think he, uh, from everything I hear and I see, 
I'm not impressed with him as a defensive coordinator. But as we were saying with Roy Ira, just because you were a great defensive coordinator doesn't mean you're going to be a great head coach, and I think vice versa, okay, because John Harbaugh came from being special teams uh, coordinator, and I think Dick Vermeil, that's what he was in the NFL before he went to UCLA, right? He was a special teams coach. I believe he was for George Allen, for George Allen with the Rams, I, I, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. Look, you're absolutely yeah. right. Uh, a head coach is a, is a whole different animal. Um, I mean, look at Wade Phillips, uh, a, a tremendous defensive mind, uh, but he coached a lot of teams and really, uh, you know, uh, was not exceptional. He just wasn't. Right. Um, I'm sitting here in Tampa, and I'm thinking the same thing about Todd Bowles. I mean, you got to think that. Um, first year in New York, very good, ten wins. Well, the last three years were terrible. He just went 8-9 and nine with Tom Brady, first losing season Brady's ever had in the NFL. Uh, we'll see what happens Monday night against Dallas. I, I think the Bucks might win the game. They might. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what they're not going to do. If they got to go to San Francisco in the divisional round, mm-hmm. they, they might get embarrassed. They might. Uh, guys, they might the wind up like but, that championship college football game, Ira. Oh, boy. You know, guys, am I, uh, I think football fans, uh, in terms of the NFC, uh, I, I think everybody wants to see the Niners and the Eagles. That's what we want to right. see. Right. Yeah, you're right. What did you think? What do you think of the uh, those Georgia dogs? Uh, they, they, they've got some team, don't they, Ira? Boy, you know what was really interesting was after the game, they have a little panel there, and Nick, Nick Saban was right there on the panel. Right. And the guy next to him, I forgot who it was. It might be an ex-player or something, said, uh, well, Georgia, Georgia's the dominant team in college football. Everything goes through Georgia now. And <laughs> Saban looked a little uncomfortable, gentlemen, a little uncomfortable. But you know what? <laughs> he, he really couldn't argue it. He couldn't argue it. No, he and, couldn't and, say know, anything because, uh, you know, they're they're talking right now about, you know, the no, forget the portals. Just look at the, you know, the screening they've done on bringing people in. And Georgia's right there. Of course, Alabama's right there, too. But most of the experts say that Alabama's about a half step back going into the season, depending on what they do with the portals, whether they can bring a couple of players in that are dominant players, not just backup players as a good tease, but dominant players in order to be right there. you agree with that? I, I do. And, uh, guys, there's, an, a, there's the offensive coordinator of the Bulldogs is a guy by the name of Todd Munkin. Todd Munkin, right. And he, he's, he's done a fantastic job the last couple of years. And the reason you remember that name is he, he was Dirk Cutter's offensive coordinator with the Buccaneers. With the Buccaneers. Wow, I didn't remember and that. Did, that you're, you're right. And I believe he also coached uh, in college. I believe he coached. Uh, and Munkin's making $2 million. I think he's the highest paid college assistant. Uh, I but think I you're know right. he wants to go back. To, uh, he wants to go back to the NFL, just like Jim Harbaugh wants to go back to the NFL. Uh, and I think he's getting out of Michigan just in time. Uh, because I think he is going to the NFL. The investigation's you know coming. He, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, he's a darn good coach, Harbaugh. He had success uh, with the Niners, a lot of success. So this guy Munkin, keep your eye on him. Uh, I, I think you're going to see him back in the NFL. Who knows if he'll ever got get a shot at being a head coach in the NFL, but if I'm an NFL team that needs an offensive coordinator, I'm hiring that guy. Well, also, yeah, I agree with uh, with Roger in terms of the hot coaches right now, but also Kefis are hot coach right now. Mike has been, he can't do very much until after the uh, playoffs, but uh, he's a coach that's really being named as maybe taking over a head coaching job, so that worked very quickly. You know, this is the time of year, guys. We hear all the rumors. Uh, Sean Payton, he, he's right in the middle of everything. I mean, that oh, guy's yeah. name is coming up. Everything from Denver to the Raiders, uh, you name it. Um, and there might be a few coaching changes that we didn't anticipate uh, coming up. Um, Sean Payton's got the track record, guys. Now, of course, let's remember one thing. He had Drew Brees, and that helps a lot. It does. Oh, yeah. And they, you don't have a quarterback team. in the National Football League, you don't win. It's as simple as that. Right. right. You know, well, the other and, thing uh, is with, with, with Peyton, fellas, the, uh, uh, you know, they, they, uh, the Saints have to be compensated for him because he still has a contract right. with the Saints. That's right. And, and he that's may right. go back to the Saints. You, what do you think about that, Ira? I, th- I think it's, with him it's all about the quarterback. And I don't like the quarterback situation uh, in, in the Big Easy. I don't think anybody does. Uh, they got Andy Dalton, who's just about done. Uh, yep. Taysom Hill is a, is a gimmick player. And Jameis Winston couldn't get his job back after he got healthy uh, again. Right. So he's probably going to move on. Uh, I, I think he's on the contract. I don't know. But Dennis Allen... I, I guess he's staying, but I don't think he's shown anything as a head coach, Dennis Allen. Um, and he did it before. Right. Yeah, I don't. I don't see Peyton going anywhere where they don't have a quarterback that he thinks he can work with. And I'll tell exactly. you another job that's going to open. Look out for the Rams because I'm hearing a lot of stories. Sean McVay is going to pack it in because he's not interested in a three-year rebuilding plan in L.A., and we don't know about Stafford. Aaron Donald could retire. That could be a mess. They don't have any draft picks. Um, You know, guys, when you uh, put all your cards in the middle of the table, just like they did here in Tampa, and I don't blame them. When you got Tom Brady, that's what you do. But you're going to pay a price down the line, and the Rams are up first. They're going to pay a price. Let me ask you the $64 question. If Brady, is this going to be his last game, or is he still going to think about playing, not necessarily in Tampa, but somewhere else in the National Football League for an additional year, or do you think his mind is going to be made up this time to really call it quits? My instincts tell me that uh, Brady wants to play in 23. Mm -hmm. Uh, I agree. Like you said, Mm -hmm. he may not necessarily be in Tampa. I think the – the fact that the divorce has been finalized and not just speculated about uh, sort of liberates him a, a little bit in that regard. Now, his kids are in Miami. I think Miami's not out of the picture because who the heck can count on tour at this point going forward? Uh, yeah. They were already interested in Brady once. 
yeah. Um, I was thinking about the Raiders because it looks like they're, uh, get, you know, dumping car. Uh, if I'm Brady and I'm looking at the Raiders, I, I don't think that's a great situation. I mean, they got Devontae mm-hmm. Adams. They got Josh Jacobs. But the offensive line's not any good. The team, the organization isn't very good. Defense is average. I think Brady can do better. Um, you know, I'll give you a team for Brady, guys. And I've been thinking about this. How about the New York Jets? The mm-hmm. New York Jets. They need a quarterback. They're a good young team on the rise. And I think Salah isn't a bad coach. And their uh, rookie running back, who, who was great, got hurt in the middle of the year. He should be back next season. They got the Garrett Wilson as the receiver. They really got a good defense, the Jets. Very, very good defense. Uh, maybe Brady wants to finish up in the Big Apple, uh, in the same division uh, as Mr. Belichick. Wouldn't that be something? Oh, my. <laughs> Roger? Yeah. Well, the, uh, it, it would be unbelievable. And, and even at Miami, right? I mean, he'd be uh, going against that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so uh, yeah, that's a good point. Well, you know, there was even some talk, Ira, you saw it about, uh, so did Don and Frank, about the, uh, about the possibility of him going back to Belichick to wrap it up with the, the Patriots, his career. What do you think about that? Absolutely. I'm skeptical, guys. I'm skeptical. I, I, I think um, I, I think him and Belichick parted company at the end of 2019. Uh, I don't think Kraft wanted uh, Brady to move on, but Belichick did. And um, I know I know the Patriots have uh, struggled a bit, certainly, uh, since Brady left. Uh, apparently, Belichick is coming back uh, next fall. Uh, but I think he's moving on. I'm not sure it's going to be with Mac Jones, but I don't. I don't think he's going to go back to Brady. The room and everybody's looking at Andre Barber to see if he's going to make it. Uh, give me a give me a quick shot. Uh, what are the odds? What do you like? Five to one, three to one, two uh, to one, eight to one. What do you uh, like? Uh, all right, uh, I'll give you a quickie uh, overview. Um, John Lynch. John Lynch took eight years. I had to make eight speeches. For John wow. Lynch, they were all different. But John Lynch was tough because a lot of the voters didn't really see him play a lot, not a lot, like we did here in Florida. He didn't have statistics that I could rely on. So it was more like the guy was an enforcer. He was uh, a hybrid linebacker safety. Uh, they thought he was through. He went to Denver. He made uh, four more Pro Bowls. Uh, one of the most feared uh, uh, hitters in, in the league. Well, here comes Rondé Barber. He redesigned a spot, a position on the field. Yes, very versatile. He's a walking statistic. He's very historical. He's done things that no other corner in history has ever done, and a lot of them. Um, you know, most tackles by a corner. Uh, most tackles for loss by a corner. Uh, the only guy with 45 uh, picks and 25 sacks ever. So he's very different than Lynch. I'm a little worried about Revis that, you know, maybe they don't want to put two cornerbacks in. I think Revis is going to get in with the Revis Island and the New York connection. You know, he's the glamour guy, and Ron mm. is not. But that, that doesn't mean they both can't get in. 
Uh, I am giving Rondé Barber a 60% chance that the third time is the charm. Good. Okay. Yeah. That would Roger? be great. Well, yeah, you know, I want to just get back to another Hall of Famer. When you were talking about uh, Saban on that panel, on the pregame panel, how about Deion Sanders? Okay, and and his attire with the sunglasses. There he is now, a major <laughs> college coach, and it's all about prime time. <laughs> what did you think about that, Aaron? <laughs> you know, I I got to tell you, I, I was surprised uh, of his success. Uh, I guess he was a Jackson State guy, right. and um, yeah. he did a very good job. And now he's got the bump up. Um, he lost one game. I never looked one at game. Him. Yeah. I, I never looked at him that, as the, as a cerebral guy or cerebral player like I do Rondé Barber. Um, I just thought that he was a freak of nature, one of the yeah. fastest guys we've ever seen on a football field. Um, I don't know if he'll for one, but we'll try. Uh, and, uh, but I didn't know that he was going to succeed as a coach. But uh, you know what? He doesn't know what he looks like. But he sure gets his message across to these kids. Uh, I think he's going to do well. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he. I'll tell you, he's a promoter, and and everybody knows him. And uh, you know, when he played in the Falcons game and what the Braves game in the same day. I mean, that's. I guess Bo Jackson. I don't know if he did that. I forget. But I know. I know Prime did it. He did it. So that's amazing. He did. All right, guys, I'm heading out. Wish me All luck. Right, Wish take me care. luck next week. Okay, we want to have you. We want to have you on and your uh, observations in the room and uh, how the votes went and uh, what happened with Andre Barber is the most important thing for the show. Give us a call. All right, guys, talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Ira. Right. Good luck. Thank you so We're much, Ira. Thank you, buddy. Take care. All right, Roger, we got a couple minutes with Frank as well. Uh, uh, Billy Wardell's, I guess, tied up doing something right now, and you can't get a hold of it at the moment. But uh, So we'll give you a chance. I didn't even wait all night to talk about that Georgia team. and So this is your chance. Well, I'll tell you, it didn't take long for uh, the uh, juniors or those, you know, sophomores that redshirted that, you know, had their three years to already, uh, you know, uh, put in the uh, paperwork to, to go in the draft. And uh, what's interesting is, that that nose tackle, uh, just like Jordan Davis last year, uh, he's one that's going in. And uh, it, but there's a number of other ones. The the one that they, that I'm interested in, Don, is to see where he gets drafted. Is Bennett, uh, you know, the quarterback? I because that that kid, he's not a kid anymore. He's a young man, but he twenty two. Yeah, he just, when you think about his background, a walk-on, had to play his way into everything, and here he's won two national championships. I mean, it's a great story, but they think he'll be a late-round pick like Purdy. You know, with the I think the size is the thing they're concerned about. He's only, what, 5'10", 5'11", and I think that's one of the main concerns that, uh, you know, uh, like Mariota, we talked about many, many times. Mariota was more of a, a running, passing quarterback in college at Baylor. Uh, right. uh, it's a totally different situation. But at the same time, 
you know, with these linemen today, six, 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 seven, six, five, six, eight, uh, you got to be able to get the ball out. You got to have avenues to throw. And I agree with you. He made an unbelievable move at Georgia from being a walk-on to being the star of the team in two national championships. I mean, you can't beat that. No. No, but you're right about the size. They just announced the other day the uh, uh, Georgia uh, uh, high school uh, football all-state team. And uh, I happened to be at uh, Denmark High School the other day when this came out. And the I think, uh, I know he is. He's an offensive tackle, 6'7", like, I, I don't know, 280, whatever he is. And uh, and one of the <clears throat> excuse me one of the freshman players uh, was in one of the classes and ironically I had him last year in a middle school and uh, and I asked him where he's playing would love to go and he wants to go to Georgia of course he's only a freshman but obviously he's very good and but this this kid has already obligated himself to Tennessee so he's going to be a volunteer this lineman. But you're exactly right. I mean, you know, here's what a 17, 18 year old young man who's already six seven, and uh, you know, at a, at a big, a high weight. I'm, you know, right. big number. So uh, that's, and then he'll probably be up to three hundred very, uh, very easily. They also had from uh, Forsyth County. There were three players, uh, one from uh, Lambert High School, one I think the other one was from South. I think one was a kicker, but, uh, you know, it was just interesting. When you look at the rosters on the teams that are in uh, the playoffs in the NFL, Don, and how many of them are Georgia-bred uh, or, and or uh, played at Georgia, Alabama, or in the SEC, it's like the SEC is like a conference on its own. You know, I mean, you got the Big Ten behind it, but the SEC is is far uh, superior, I think, to any other conference in the country. You think you agree with that? No, oh, I don't think there's any question. Uh, now there are some soft touches, you know, uh, but I want to go back to Kirby Smart for just a minute because one thing he did was, although in the press conference, uh, you know, he talked about Alabama and how much he learned over there, and how he yeah. brought that into to Georgia. Uh, you know, he didn't try to slight his former coach or anything. He, he tried to, no. you know, pump him up and say how great he really was. And what his, his secret was was dedication to the little things, getting everything done. And that's what they talk about with Kirby Smart. They talk about how he takes care, took the information from Alabama, moved it to Georgia, and does exactly the same thing. The smallest, what you think is insignificant thing, he's on top of it. Well, same thing with uh, Belichick, except that his uh, uh, protégés haven't done well in the NFL. I mean, you know, McDaniel, you look at uh, uh, the guy who was his offensive, well, he was in charge of uh, offense, uh, Patricia. Uh, You know, he was awful in Detroit. So, uh, but no, uh, Kirby Smart was the chief recruiter for Saban when he was at Alabama. And I'll tell you what. He obviously is is an unbelievable recruiter. Uh, I mean, he was there and he is as a head coach. But I'll tell you, he's animated on the sidelines, isn't he? I mean, he is in constant motion on the oh. sideline. You, you look at some of the other coaches. I mean, Saban walks up and down pretty much 
but then you look at some of the other ones, and they don't really uh, move around a lot, you know. On the only time line. you see Saban about any kind of thing is when there's a call that goes against them. Then he takes the headset <laughs> right. off and throws it down or jumps up and down and yells. But you're right. He's, he's, for the most part, he's just concentrating on his job and what he's doing, and he's not worried about you know, showing any emotion during the course of the game, whereas you're right. So watch just the opposite. He's running up and down the field. <laughs> you know, he's involved in every single play. Yeah, yeah, he is. And uh, he does the uh, uh, Ford truck commercials. And and then, but I love every time I've heard him, except one time in that national uh, championship game, it, he always ends it, go dogs. You know, so <laughs> that's what I'll, re, I'll remember to, to my uh, last day about uh, Kirby Smart, go dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, I just know, think it's very interesting, as I said to you at the top of the show and to Roy, uh, and Roy, I thought his explanation was great that, uh, you know, you can talk all you want to about 12-team playoffs, but, you know, there aren't 12 teams that uh, are really adequate 12-team playoffs. I mean, they're, they're teams, and, you know, they're good. They're good teams, but uh, they're not going to mess around with Alabama. They're not going to mess around with Georgia. They're not going to, you know, Texas may be able to come back now. They've, they've tried down for three consecutive years, haven't been able to make it into the front row, but now they're going into the 12th, so maybe that'll help them a little bit with the recruiting. But uh, there aren't very many teams that are going to compete at this level. And, uh, you know, I, I disagree with Roy 100%. I think you're wasting your time. I mean, maybe it's nice for the colleges to get more money, but if you're looking for competition uh, to go to the championship game, you're not going to find it there. No, and I, I think that at the most, you go to eight. I mean, that's about it. But uh, I think Ira hit the nail on the head about uh, I didn't think Harbaugh would leave, uh, leave Michigan. However, I'm starting to change my uh, opinion about that because I think the investigation is going to uh, do damage to them as far as uh, recruiting. And, uh, you know, and it, that affects the portal like you were talking about, too. And that's how they, they really big, uh, build the uh, powerhouses now. Is with the uh, uh, with the portal, uh, you know, where they don't have to sit out a year anymore. That's the key. Exactly, exactly. Well, we're going to switch gears once again. We're going to go down to Washington, Baltimore area. Mike Zimzak is ready to go, our soccer specialist. And for the change, rather than talk about some of the things outside of soccer tonight, maybe we'll start with soccer because they signed a nice TV contract and. Uh, Maybe talk a little bit about that, Mike. Uh, and there's also a little un- uneasiness in what's been happening with the officials, which has been going on since, what, 2020, and it's continuing into 2023. But let's start with the TV contract, which is really a 10-year deal. Uh, is this the deal with Apple? Yeah, that had been – MLS signed a deal, a streaming deal with Apple uh, – for 10 years, that was actually uh, it took place a little earlier uh, in the summer. Uh, so Apple is going to be able to broadcast, but I think the big deal for, for uh, MLS is it gives MLS complete control over their broadcasting. They're going to do all of the broadcasting now in-house. Um, I was and they announce their announcers, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. They also announce their announcers that, that they pick to do the games. Yeah, 
And so all of the stuff is going to be done from a central location. So there's no more local broadcasting. Um, I know that Mike, uh, Roger, Mike does the TV broadcast for, for the Atlanta United. I don't know if he got picked up by MLS or if he's still down there doing or radio he does. But, you know, like those guys, a lot of those guys lost their jobs at the end of the season because, you know, they only took a certain amount of crews. Right. Uh, I also wasn't in love with the fact that MLS controlling the broadcast means that, uh, I don't know, it just gives me a whole lot of like Big Brother is watching type vibes. They've talked about wanting to make sure that all of the messaging was on brand. And so they want to control a certain amount of, uh, I guess, what they say. I will give them credit, though, because by centralizing production, they're going to make sure that all of the games – I know that was an issue. When you watch games that were produced by ESPN versus local broadcasting, uh, ESPN right. would have more cameras. Uh, the appearance of the game radically changed. Uh, it, there was a change whether or not the guys were in studio versus in the booth. So I think there was an idea of let's package the product and make it – um, to make it uh, uniform. But this is a big step. We really haven't seen a league get into the broadcast business the way that MLS has in this partnership with, uh, with Apple. You know, I know the right. NFL has the NFL networks that it's kind of in partnership with NFL films. And I know that they took a run at broadcasting some of the Thursday night games early, but if this is successful for MLS, this could start uh, serve as a blueprint that a lot of other leagues, especially Major League Baseball, might want to follow. Well, they they did it on Friday nights with a number of games on, on Apple, and that was the yeah. complaint. But to answer your question, Mike, about um, uh, Mike, uh, the uh, he is – I believe the brand manager of uh, 92.9 the game. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and he also does the uh, Falcons uh, pre and post game shows. So he's, he's really involved. And what's interesting now in, in radio is the, the brand manager is basically the program director. And uh, with Angelo Cataldi retiring at WIP at the, uh, the end of the Eagles run, uh, the uh, woman that handles uh, the uh, uh, social media uh, on on Angelo's show, she's now the assistant going to be, and I guess she already is the assistant brand manager. So that's about the brand, you know, with Odyssey, with uh, the uh, uh, social media outlets and everything else. So the the whole broadcast industry as we knew it, Mike, is, is changed, and uh, you're right. I, I, I think that they may find that they still need local uh, channels sometimes, just like uh, we know in New York, Don, when P, uh, P, PIX lost the Yankees. Okay, they picked up the Mets, and, uh, so, and in Philly, NBC10 still does some of the games, even though – NBC Sports Philadelphia is 25% owned by the Phillies. So, you know, and they have all the Flyers and the Sixers games. So, well, it'll be interesting to see whether the Apple 
uh, situation works. I don't know, Don, did you see in the uh, post the uh, uh, the interview they had with Al Michaels about the uh, Thursday night game that was yes, on Prime I did. Video? Yeah, that, that was, was a couple of days ago. A couple of days ago, yeah. I thought it was very interesting, uh, his assessment, uh, you know, because he's considered the uh, the number one uh, football uh, play-by-play broadcaster, uh, uh, you know, in the NFL. I not, don't necessarily agree with that, but that's what he's considered. Another thing, Mike, uh, just to bring it up quickly and then go to something else, uh, the National Women's Soccer League, uh, you know, they're having coaches banned, and, and, uh, which has been continuing, but now they're, they're, they're not finished with the investigations, and it seems to me like they're in a little trouble from a, from a, uh, a referee official standpoint. Well, I mean, look, every league in the world has a lot of referee issues. Um, I think theirs are more pronounced. It's hard to find qualified refs. That's the problem. It looks like they also have some controversy going on around there as well. Um, you know, that league, uh, with the coaches getting banned and the, the coaches who are being punished, rightly so, the refs, I think that they were just looking to sweep a bunch of things under the rug um, in hopes that they could make the league successful uh, and get it so that it was a little more static, and now all of this stuff is coming to light. And it's a problem for them. Well, you got the well, big-time coaches. I mean, one was in North Carolina. I mean, you, you know, they're being banned from the league. I mean, uh, that's a little surprising well, to you, me. You gotta be, you got to be able to respect how – got to treat your players a certain way. And some of these complaints that are coming out, the women have been making complaints. They've been talking to the front office. They've been talking to the league. They've been saying, like, you know, this stuff is going on, and this is not – this is beyond tough love. This is harassment. This is bullying. This is really serious mistreatment. And, you know, they tried to go through the recourses that they were supposed to, and they kind of just got swept under the rug. It was ignored. They were told to sit down and, and shut up. They took their case to the media. This stuff has been, these allegations that they were making, has been out there for a while. It's just now the, the league is so embarrassed that they're acting on it. This is all stuff that they should have done, uh, you know, months and years ago. Well, now, let's switch gears. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the National Football League. Uh, your Washington club, uh, we anticipated, uh, you know, they have a shot at the playoffs. They lost that shot the week before the last game of the season. But they still came out and played the last game of the season. What's the tone right now in Washington? I would think they'd be a little bit optimistic about what the which direction the club is going in. I think the problem would be if they if people knew what direction the club was going in, they'd be optimistic. Um, it, it, the theme of the off season is going to be who's in charge. You're entering into a situation where ownership is very much in flux. We do not anticipate getting the ownership set situation settled uh, before the new league year opens, which means that free agency is going to start, potentially the draft is going to start, and there's not going to be any resolution to the ownership situation. That's going to make okay, we're going to have to jump ahead, Mike, because uh, Billy Wardell, we got the Eagles coming up in the game with the uh, the weekend, the number one, at least the number one team in our minds, anyway, to go all the way to the Super Bowl. 
and Billy Wardell is ready to talk about it. So thank you very much. We'll get together again next week. Let me switch back to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. One of the best broadcasters in Philadelphia history, Billy Wardell, is all with us right now. I've been with the Eagles for so many years, I can't remember. In fact, they did a little piece uh, with Mike Quick and, and, uh, and uh, the, the broadcast booth the other night. Talked about how Merrill Reese had been there forever. Well, Billy Wardell's been there forever as well. Billy, your thoughts, first of all, on the Eagles going into game number one. Don, first of all, I want to apologize to you and Frank and everybody on the show. I had my phone, and I just had a senior moment. I fell nodded off, and I said, man, Don Henderson's going to be really mad at (laughs) me. You're entitled to that. Billy, if I get to be your age, I'll nod off too. Okay. Don, by the way, you can – you can see Bill's picture when you go on the sports writers website and they have a uh, scroll of pictures and Bill Warnell's picture is right on there. <laughs> Thank you, Roger. I appreciate really that. So. Well, <laughs> Bill talked about the, the last game, the last game of the regular season, not a, uh, not a very good game to watch and not a good, good game performance wise. Give us your evaluation of the quarterback, the Eagles and, how they're prepared now for the playoffs. Don, I was a little concerned. I'm, I'm still a little concerned. I mean, down the stretch, they kind of stumbled and bumbled, starting with that Chicago game when Hurts got hurt. Uh, then they played Dallas on Christmas Eve. They did not have – they had four turnovers in that game. They should have wrapped up the division then. Then they really laid a colossal egg against New Orleans, had no intensity in the first half, tried to come back in the second half, and then – the pick six by uh, Lattimore. And then last week against the Giants, the Giants had nothing to play for, so they rested most of their starters. And I was a little disappointed at, at, at the Eagles' tempo. I mean, I, I, I certainly think that they're a very talented team, but I, I don't think they came out with a sense of purpose. And, of course, they limited what Hurts could do. They did not run it many RPOs for him. Uh, they, they just really – condensed the game plan, uh, not wanting him to get hurt. But, uh, look, the playoffs are a different animal. you got to ratchet it up about five notches. And I think the Eagles are capable of going to the Super Bowl. Lane Johnson's a key because to see how effective he will be uh, coming back from that sports hernia, how that operation in the offseason. Avante Maddox, uh, the boot is off. His, uh, he has a turf toe. Josh Sweat, they're optimistic that he'll be able to go. So, uh, look, the Eagles should advance to the NFC Championship game. Should. Are they? That's the big question. Roger? Yeah, you don't feel as as confident and as comfortable, and neither do I, Bill, as we did uh, four or five weeks ago. Okay? Well, I mean, Roger, it's, you know, it's not a matter of being comfortable. It's a matter of watching the way the team played. And right. It was a little – disappointing the way they played. Now, look, they won 14 games this year. That wasn't by accident. They won, and they handled some very good competition. But the one thing that bothers me, especially on the defensive end, the ability of teams to run the football on the Eagles. And they, mm-hmm. they brought in, in Dominican Sue and Linval Joseph, the first-round pick, Jordan Davis. You'd think they'd do a better job of shutting down the run. And if you look at the way teams have beat the Eagles, if you look at the uh, the Saints, you look at the Washington Commanders, they ran the ball very effectively. And that may be the blueprint 
to beat the Eagles, but I think they, they have a couple of weeks to tighten it up, and I think the Eagles should be able to do that. Billy, I mentioned that Mike Quick was up in the booth, and as he always is as the analyst, along with Merle Reese and yourself up there in the booth. Uh, but he had a young man wearing number 11 on the field that uh, took his record away. Yeah, uh, of course, in 17 games, not in 16. But, again, A.J. Brown was a really a solid contributor. And the growth of Devontae Smith as a wide receiver. They've got two of the most talented young receivers in the league. Uh, couple that with one of the best tight ends in the league. They've got a three-headed monster in the running back department with Sanders, who has a little bit of a knee, uh, Boston Scott and Kenny Gainwell. So they've got a lot of weapons that they can rely on in this playoff run. And uh, if they had uh, if they had drafted Justin uh, Jefferson instead of Rager, they would have had another outstanding receiver. Yeah, let's not bring that up. I want to regurgitate every time I think about that, you know, because uh, that that was the pick, Justin Jefferson. Jalen Rager was rated as a second or third round pick in the R-Lads evaluation, my evaluation. I was just flabbergasted. But you're right. If you had had Jefferson and maybe Micah Parsons instead of Devontae Smith, you'd have right. really a juggernaut out there. Yeah, absolutely. Really, at the same time, you really can't fault the front office of the Eagles. We've talked about it over the last couple of years, what we thought were shortages in decision-making for draft choices and so forth. But between the trades and the choices they made, this year you really can't look at the front office and say they'd give this team every chance to win. No question about it, Don. Howie Roseman has done an outstanding job. The trade for A.J. Brown, bringing the two veteran defensive linemen in, the drafting of Jordan Davis. Yes, they've done an outstanding job, the front office. Now, it's incumbent upon them to keep building. Remember, they have a number of free agents coming up this year, led by Javon Hargrave, who's an outstanding player, T.J. Edwards, their outstanding linebacker, James Bradbury. So there's going to be some very, very difficult decisions, uh, Don and Roger, going forward with this football team. Yeah, next year you got Hertz needing another. Well, Hertz needs another contract next year, right? Yeah, and you know he's not going to be playing for two million dollars a year. He'll be playing for right. about uh, twenty-five million dollars a year. So that impacts the, what you can do. I mean, we've seen it with the Green Bay Packers with uh, Rodgers eating up all right. that salary cap space. It really, really hurts a, 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 foot, a football team. And when you when you don't have that flexibility with a young quarterback because he's on a, a rookie contract, it really puts you behind the eight ball. Billy yeah, Wardell, our special nice. guest this segment, as always, really one of the outstanding people in Philadelphia, outstanding broadcasters for the National Football League and sports in general. And Billy, as uh, we take a look, uh, is this additional this additional week that? Uh, the quarterback is going to have off. They give it another week for that shoulder to get a little bit of a more recovery. Uh, is that a big factor? Absolutely, Don. That is a yeah. very important factor. When you can rest him for another week, very important. Whether they didn't have to play uh, this Saturday or Sunday, uh, that'll give him a solid two weeks off, uh, regardless of what date they play, because uh, I- I'm looking forward to seeing him He'll be, not be at full strength, but he'll be close to full strength. And when, when he can run that RPO uh, effectively, 
it puts so much pressure on the opposing defenses. They have to account for him on every play. And when they limited his uh, running ability in the game against the Giants, uh, that, that gave the Giants a little bit of an edge. Even though the Giants did not have their first deep defense out there, it still gave their defense an opportunity to uh, not concentrate on Jalen Hurts as much. Remember, down near the goal line, he becomes a real weapon. Oh, he yeah. can run or pass, and that, that that is a very key component to their offensive game plan. Roger. Hey, Bill, yeah, I wanted to get uh, your opinion because a lot has gone on in the offseason with the Phillies. I mean, they have made significant uh, changes or additions, I should say. What do you think about some of these um, moves? And uh, they, they seem to be a heck of a lot stronger than they were even in the uh, at the end of the season. Do you agree with that? No question about it, but the division – is very strong as well. Yeah, the guy up in is. New York, Mr. Cohen, he writes uh, billion-dollar checks like you write 25-hour checks. I mean, <laughs> yeah, this right. guy just, it just goes crazy. Uh, right so now, if he had signed, if he had wound up signing this while second baseman short, there was going to be a third baseman for the Mets instead of going right. to Minnesota. His payroll would have been $600 million. He doesn't care about that, Don. He, no, he doesn't give a hoot. He doesn't care whether he's over the limit. The other owners right. may scream a little bit, but he doesn't care. No, the only guy that has more money than Steve Cohen is Don Henderson. Of course, yeah, Don's right. all in his mattress. That's exactly uh, right. All, all in his mattress. I've got holes in my shoes. I've been so poor. Right. <laughs> but the, the thing is that this guy doesn't care. But, Roger, back to your point. They added... Uh, Trey Turner at shortstop. They've upgraded their bullpen. I mean, if Kimbrell has anything left, that's a plus. Uh, they The one area that they've got to look, they've got to, when they made the deal for Soto from the Tigers, yeah. they gave up barely a mate. They've got to find a fourth outfielder because with Harper on the shelf until probably late June, early July, they've got to find another outfielder. But I think there'll be a guy that's available. One guy that I thought to Larry Boa about is Jake Cave. It was a high draft pick of the Yankees a number of years ago, and he's had cups of coffee throughout his career. He could be that fourth outfielder, but they're still in the market to look for a, a, an outfielder because, <laughs> again, they with Castellanos and Schwarber, they're not uh, defensive whizzes out there. So they got to add that fourth outfielder and when Harper comes Billy, back, what about Marsh? I'm not, I'm not 100% sold on Marsh as a big-time center fielder either. Well, Don, I, I think they really liked what they saw the second half of the year. He was playing pretty good baseball as far as from an uh, offensive standpoint. And defensively, Don, he's one of the better center fielders they've had in a while. But, uh, again, I, I think that he's an upgrade in center field. They needed a legitimate center fielder, and I think it's an upgrade there. And as you know, Don, if you're strong up the middle, you got Riamuto behind the plate, you got Stott and Turner up the middle and Marsh in center field. I'm not saying it's the Maddox trio Boa Boone, but uh, certainly it's, it's an upgrade. And it's another situation that the Phillies got to monitor, monitor that is uh, JT Riamuto. You can't have him catch all those innings. No. 
You have one of the best Absolutely. backup catchers in the game. And I know he's a, he was a very effective player down the stretch, especially when Harper was struggling a little bit with the, that, that uh, Tommy John and Castellanos. And he, he really kind of really kept the Phillies alive in, the, in their pennant race. But I, I just think that the Phillies have to be a little bit more uh, aware of how many innings he's catching because he's 31 years old. I would like to see him get a day off once a week or once every 10 days because they really need his defense and offense. Roger? Well, they, you know, Bill, they, they, the Phillies have a kid coming up from the minor leagues that they're very high on who they say is a uh, – a, a very good hitter or has great uh, hitting, hitting potential, we'll say, but a tremendous uh, fielder and uh, with speed. I forget the, the uh, young man's name. Rojas? Rojas? Yeah, yeah, I guess that's him. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think he's ready. I don't think they want to have, and Don will agree with me on this, I don't think they want a player who is a very, very capable young player on the bench, coming off the bench. I think they'd rather no, have I would either. Get, yeah, get get the get the bats in in the minor leagues, and have a veteran. You need a veteran type player uh, that's your fourth outfielder. I believe. I agree, Billy. I think the other thing is that uh, you want your young players to play, and sitting yeah, on the bench, they day. don't learn anything. They got to play. No. So you right. you keep them at Triple A or you keep them wherever you want, but you want them in the lineup every single day. And then well, at the July, August, or September, if they've shown that they're ready to make that next step up. Maybe you make the move, but I agree with you. You don't, you don't do it early. No. And, Don, the other situation that's developing with the Phillies is the painter situation, the young pitcher. They're very yeah. high on him, and I think that they would really like to see him in that rotation by the middle of May. And I would not be surprised if the Phillies go to a six-man rotation uh, periodically during the season. I think they they want to save the bullets of Wheeler, Suarez, and Nola. They have Walker. You 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 you've added uh, a kid like Painter. You can you have a lot of flexibility. Remember, in Japan, they use a six-man rotation on a regular basis. Right, and they don't play nearly as many games. No, no, and they don't. And and because the way the pitchers are groomed in the minor leagues. Four or five innings, the whole deal. They don't. They don't uh, expect pitchers to go more than six innings every game. Starting pitchers, and you go to the bullpen. I, I just think that you you might go to a six-man rotation. I don't think at the outset, but I think during the season that could happen. Roger. Well, yeah, I agree with you uh, to wholeheartedly on that, Bill. And uh, and I, I I'm anxious to see uh, Painter, and then uh, do you th- probably what Abel would be next next year, right? Probably this year, and also could they McGarry? They've got some a little bit more depth in their minor league system than they've had in the past. So that mm-hmm. that gives them another kid that pitched okay last year. Uh, it was Bailey Falter. Don't yeah. don't x him out of the equation. I mean, he, he might be a, a a guy that you'll see a, a little bit more this year because he pitched some key games for the Phillies last year. Well, we talked right. all during the course of the football season at the NFL East, and they almost wound up with Washington got in with four teams in the playoffs, which would have been unheard of. But uh, I think in baseball right now, the National League East, uh, 
they're, I mean, they're just this is another division I think they can compare. You know, the Dodgers are good. The Padres are supposed to be good, but nobody ever knows whether they're going to be good or not. But, I mean, they're just – I don't think there's that much in the other divisions that even come close to the National League East. You're right, Don. And a, and a sleeper team there is Miami. All right? Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of young talent on that team. Pitchers. And eventually that young talent that, – that, exactly. They have young talent. They've got a lot of pitching. And it, once that talent starts to realize big league level on a consistent basis, I think you're going to see uh, the Miami Marlins causing some problems in the East. Now, Washington's a couple of years away. They have new ownership, the whole deal. But I, I really believe, watch out for Miami. I've said that for a couple of years, and I've eaten crow in the past. But I think Miami is a team to look out for. Not gonna, well, I have I'm a question, Roger. Go to it. Well, I was just going to say, Bill, I'm sure we're going to see you at the uh, Sports Writers Banquet on the 23rd. And uh, there's a, a number of uh, honorees. We're all members, you, you Don, and myself. And uh, I know Jay Wright's going to be, uh, you know, honored. Obviously, Dan Baker, uh, uh, the uh, a number of uh, people you've dealt with over the years. So it, it should be a big night. <laughs> yeah, talk about Dan Baker. You talk about a staple in Philadelphia sports. He did the PA for the Phillies for over 50 years now. Did the PA for the the Phillies, did Big Five. He was executive director of the Big Five for many, many years. I mean, you talk about a quality individual, and I'm certainly glad the sports writers are paying homage to Dan Baker. He's gone through an awful lot uh, physically over the last couple of years. And you talk about quality people. Dan Baker is at the head of that list. Billy, yeah, exactly. I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you very, very much, Billy, and uh, we'll get together soon again. Uh, I'll stay down here in Florida until it gets a little warmer. You stay up there in Philadelphia. Keep an eye on things. <laughs> no, Keep an eye, eye on what the temperature going down, Don. And I <laughs> we'll, apologize we'll to all your great listeners uh, that I, <laughs> I overslept, and I apologize to Frank. I apologize <laughs> to you, Roger. Nope, nope, you're, it you're, won't you're, happen you're no again. Never a problem. Never a problem. No. Yep. We knew you'd be there. All Take right, care. There you yeah, go. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Take care, All right, Bill. let's bring Doug in down there in Baltimore because, uh, boy, if there's one game, I'm looking looking to see whether uh, those Ravens can hang in there against Cincinnati. Doug, what do we got this weekend? <laughs> this is going to well, be uh, – is your quarterback going to be able to play at all? Well, listen, uh, first of all, listen, we, we have a lot to cover, uh, you know, this short 15 or 20 minutes. And first – you know, we have to mention the fact that, you know, in this household, everything is the way it ought to be because Georgia has repeated as national champion. Um, well, you know, uh, my wife was still on edge, you know, even at halftime. I said to her, I was like, let's, let's like, go do something else. I was like, it's like 31 to 7. She goes, oh, you never know. She was still on edge. Roger, I turned it off in the middle of the second quarter and went to bed. <laughs> wasn't even a game. I mean – you know, they just had they just had their way with those those guys. Um, I mean, even that one freshman running back who hasn't even I don't think played this year scored two touchdowns late in the game. Um, I mean, they just TCU just absolutely did not show up for that football game. Um, no. But you know, uh, now now that we've we've crossed that threshold of of mentioning that um, this this past weekend, I think I was a little I told. 
Frank when he buzzed me in that I was a little disappointed that, you know, the Ravens kind of treated that as a preseason game. But I also understand that, you know, they didn't really have any, you know, real reason to get anybody hurt. And I think it's certainly my belief, but I think that the NFL kind of whiffed on, you know, the playoff scenarios that that Bills-Bengals game had some serious implications. And if you're a Ravens fan, I think that, you know, if Buffalo wins that game, now you have a chance to win the division, um, you know, and host a home game. So that being said, you know, they played, you know, backups to backups. And, and uh, you know, I think we got out of that pretty unscathed. And uh, we'll see what happens this week. I've done my due diligence, I think, listening to uh, 105.7 The Fan and, and hearing what they have to say about, you know, some different things. Um, you know, I've been reading a lot of stuff and, and trying to do some homework here. And I think I think we have a problem, um, you know, in terms of the practice scenarios. So, I mean, Lamar Jackson hasn't practiced now for, I think, five weeks. He, he wasn't spotted on the, on the field today. And I think that, you know, tomorrow is a, a pretty big day in terms of figuring out whether he's going to be able to go or not. I don't think he is. And furthermore, I think that there's some – wind swirling here that this may not be injury related. Um, you know, that, that I think he's um, betting on himself as he has the entire season. And I think he, you know, doesn't necessarily want to risk any injury. And I think because he's unsigned pretty much past this year, um, you know, there's some contract implications here that people are starting to say that he's not playing because, he doesn't want to jeopardize, you know, his contract situation. Um, but if he so stops playing, Doug, don't you think that seven points is a little bit of an underlay? I mean, if, if he's well, not going to play, right? That, that seems to that's, me very light, seven points. Um, well, I, I think that line is probably going to move because uh, Tyler Huntley, uh, the backup, did not throw a pass today in practice. Uh, so – you know, if, if they have to go the same route they went last week with that guy Brown, you know, this is going to be a one and done. And I, I think, at least from my perspective, I'm starting to fit some of these jigsaw puzzle pieces together. And I'm thinking, first and foremost, if I'm, you know, a part of the Raven, Ravens organization and, and, and my quarterback who, who says he wants to get certain, you know, signed long term doesn't necessarily want to play, quote unquote you know, in terms of the playoffs and he's not ready or whatever, I, I think you're going to see some significant changes to uh, the Ravens organization next year. I think I think Greg Roman is out. Um, I think that there's a real possibility uh, that Lamar Jackson does not come back. Um, you know, I've heard rumors that, you know, they're looking at DeAndre Hopkins um, because I think Arizona wants to move him. And I think that if you would even consider something like that, um, I think that changes the nature of your offense. I think that, you know, under Greg Roman, they've been uh, a run first run heavy uh, offense, allowing Lamar's, you know, legs and, and read option uh, to dominate their offensive plays. I mean, they don't really need a downfield receiver, um, you know, in terms of the offense they run. So if you're considering, uh, I also think that Greg Roman's going to be, a pretty big scapegoat, you know, they lost, um, you know, several of the games, you know, all the games down the stretch last year and, and some this year. So um, I, I think he'll be gone. And I, I think that you could really see a brand new offense um, that's, 
without Lamar uh, moving forward. I don't know. You know, they just signed Roquan Smith, which I was – that was the best part of my day the other day. Uh, I was delighted to see that they've locked him up for five years and making him the highest paid, you know, linebacker. Um, you know, I think that they're starting to place a significant value on other other spots. Um, you know, there's some things that are moving. Well, you know, Doug, I've thought that for quite a while, to be honest with you, because of all the negotiations or lack of uh, with mm-hmm. Jackson. And, uh, and you know, you know, I've talked about that a couple times. Yeah. And um, I'm just wondering if they would go out and draft one of these uh, quarterbacks because there's mm-hmm. quite a, an assortment of really yeah. good quarterbacks coming out of college this year. And, yeah, and uh, I think you're, go ahead. You know, you're spot on. I think it's a, it's a pretty rich uh, quarterback-leading draft this year. Um, my, my question is, and I don't know the answer to this, um, if the Ravens choose to franchise tag Lamar Jackson, does that – I mean, is he still officially a Raven, and can they trade him under that scenario, or does he actually have to sign the franchise tender for them to be able to – make a transaction that i don't know. i don't even I'd be know if they, to see. I, I, I don't know if they can trade i, I you know that's a good question i don't know yeah i don't i, I have what, no what idea you, i cannot give you any would, input on that one because get? i don't i don't know the rule well, there's going to be a lot get of, for the franchise tag 40 million yeah it's it's an average of it's either the top five or top 10 quarterbacks at that position so it's it's going to be roughly 40 million and i think um, the numbers that I saw after signing Roquan Smith, and I, I don't think that exact contract uh, based on the year-by-year year has been divulged. If it has been, the number I saw, I don't know if it's true or not, was his cap number next year is going to be about $6 million-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think right now, plus or minus, you know, what the NFL comes at, at the, the, the cap number, the Ravens are going to have about $48 million in which they can, you know, make negotiations, but they only have like 41 people, you know, would, would still be remaining under contract of the 53 they need. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and, and Lamar is not a part of that. And if it's going to be 40 million, they, you know, they're up against it again. So, you know, sooner or later, they're going to have to either say, you know, we need to make this a manageable number so we can place, you know, values on other players around you, or, you know, we need to trade you and get what we can get for you, which, I think would be pretty significant. And I think you're going to see, you know, the quarterback carousel is going to spin pretty heavily this off season because you've got a lot of the quarterback needy teams and you've got, um, you know, guys like Derek Carr that are out there and, and some other players that, that could fit that bill. So uh, I think there's going to be an interesting off season to this. Well, I sort of agree with you in the, in the case of, uh, of Jackson, because, uh, you know, you're going, as you mentioned, you're going into all these games at the end of the season uh, with him unable to play going into the first game of the playoffs, and uh, it just doesn't make it doesn't make financial sense to me uh, that you wouldn't try to move him and, and uh, either sign him and move him or or move him, right. and uh, because you're just not going to have enough room on the payroll to pay everybody. Well, that's that's the you know, and Don, you know, I've talked about this in nauseam with you know Lamar Jackson has has now missed more than eight games of the past two seasons. And you're going to sit there and tell me that it's a good business decision to wrap up whatever, $200 million, you know, for a guy that isn't even going to play in the playoff game. He should be ready to go. 
he should you know right. this this injury was said to be a two to four week injury we're now in, we're now into week five and and he's not been sighted anywhere near the practice field so if it's true that he's holding out because he doesn't want to further injure himself so that he doesn't want to risk his contract that sends a big message i think to the ravens and, and what they want to do moving forward so um well see know, the eagles are going to have to do that with hurts though you know because his contract comes up next year and uh, but here let me let me give you an example about hurts you know he's the son of a uh a football coach okay and i mean that it, it really means a lot we see that often but on monday he told uh, Sirianni, uh, he said, uh, uh, let's go in, because they were, they were off on Monday because they have the bye. He said, uh, let's go in and uh, look at film. And that's exactly what he did after, uh, on Monday morning, they, the two of them were in there looking at film. So here's a guy, he, you know, he can't wait to play, and he's mm-hmm. been hurt for a couple of weeks, but he, he wanted to play when he was hurt. And he still mm-hmm. went through a lot of pain on Sunday, whereas you get, the, uh, you know, Jackson, and he's like avoiding the whole situation. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's there's there's definitely some some negative publicity surrounding Lamar in, in this scenario. Um, you know, in terms of what I'm hearing, reading, seeing, etc. Um, you know, I think that it's going to be a a tough sled for for the Ravens to go into Cincinnati and you know you know at least this time they'll have a few more of their starters um but i mean Cincinnati's been playing some really good football and you know offensively right. Joe Burrow is just on the mark um he has so many options to throw the football to and again it's a good running back um you know if you're going to tell me that the last four games five games whatever it's been you know, the Ravens have averaged 12 and a half, 13 points a game. I mean, that's that's not going to beat the Cincinnati Bengals. And, not you know, even this, past, even this past weekend, I mean, look, the Ravens were, you know, they they battled, let's say that. They were on the field to compete. And a lot of those guys got some good reps uh, that no, don't normally play. And it's nice to have a little bit of depth uh, in there. But, you know, I mean, I think uh, the quarterback himself was, was good for three or four turnovers. So, uh, I mean, Sammy Watkins coughed it up down the stretch. I mean, the Ravens, I think, had a real chance to win that football game uh, based on grit and determination. And had they not turned the ball over, uh, you know, even some of the turnovers weren't awful, but the one in the end zone was the big the big deal. Right. Early in the game, it was at 17-0, and, and the Ravens had a chance to score. They went for it on fourth down instead of kicking the field goal. You know, here we are again. You know, I feel like I want to get a T-shirt made you know, and send it, you know, just take the bleeping points, you know what I mean? <laughs> just, you know, um, my God, I mean, you know, that's what Let I'm saying. Let me ask you this, Doug. Down there, we had our correspondent who's presenting Andre Barber for the Hall of Fame this week and, mm-hmm. uh, and a, a real National Football League uh, a knowledgeable guy. And, and he said that he thinks uh, – Harbaugh's brother definitely wants to come back to the National Football League. Uh, he thinks yeah. he's going to leave Michigan and, and come to the other. Anything in Baltimore about the, the two Harbaugh's, about the, whether one's really going to come back or not? Yeah, no, that that hasn't really been uh, a tremendous topic. I think that's um, definitely further down the line. Um, I mean, Lamar Jackson is, is dominating the headlines. Uh, obviously, obviously. The playoffs. Um, you know, there's 
um, I think already a, a small buzz for you know the Orioles and and uh, you know getting started and a lot of minor moves they've made uh, to to get people off the scrap heap as they've done in the in the past and you know of course the Caps are playing good hockey in the area so there's there's a lot of things that I think are, are dominating the sports and I don't that's not necessarily one of them I will tell you that you know I think you, you've got a number of different positions uh, that that are open. And, and I think it's sad that Cliff Kingsbury got fired, even though record-wise, I guess you could justify it. Um, you know, they had signed him to a, a contract extension through, like, 2027. And, you know, I think that it, what what's sad to me is that he had a, a diminishing relationship with Kyler Murray, and I think that's probably what cost him his job, and that a, a franchise is going to put more stock in their, in their quarterback and obviously the money they've paid him, and that he gets – Kind of, it was even said uh, that I saw somewhere that that uh, Kyler Murray's going to have a say in who the next coach is going to be. I mean, wh- why are we letting the inmates run the asylum here? I mean, I think that's exactly. Sad. Um, that's sports you know, today, the my boy. Well, that's sports it's, it's today. You know, somebody throws Roger, their you're up. in the air. And... Well, you know, Don, I was wanted to get back, to, and I was looking for to talk to uh, Doug about Steve Serby's uh, column about who he picks, and I think he picks the Ravens to beat the Bengals uh, this mm-hmm. weekend. Do you remember that, Don, from uh, Steve Sturby's I, I think time? you're right. I, I, I don't want to agree with it, but I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. and uh, I, I, don't think, I, don't, I don't think if Jackson does not play, as uh, Doug has, has uh, outlined for us now, and you can't win in the National fo- Football League scoring 13 points a game. And, uh, you know, if you don't have a quarterback, I mean, I'm talking about a quarterback for playoff competition, your chances of winning are almost nothing. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to me, if they don't have Jackson, I think they have. That's why I say I'm amazed that we're talking six or seven points here. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I would think it'd be more like 13 points. Yeah. Well, even the the game last week was, 10, 10 and a half. I mean, the Ravens covered that, but, um, you know, you don't know to what degree they were quote unquote actually trying. Um, I think that, right. I think you'll definitely see that line adjusted if once the quarterback, um, I mean, the best case scenario would be if you bet the Ravens right now and then Lamar Jackson played, maybe that's what they're setting the line on. I don't know, but, um, you know, I think, um, I, I think the Cincinnati Baltimore rivalry has taken, front and center, and I think it it even overshadows the Steeler-Ravens. Um, I mean, I think that there's a lot of NASU teams. Um, you know, I think you saw, was it last year, Cincinnati ran the score up a couple times when they were they were up big um, and, and kept throwing it past. And so hey, there's no love lost between these two teams. And I, and I think that, I mean, the Stars would have to align, you know, incredible for the, for the Ravens to win this football game with either Huntley or Brown or whomever they run out there. But they're going to have to run the ball incredibly effective and, and control the time. They're going to have to play some amazing defense and hopefully get some turnovers. Their special teams is going to have to, um, you know, play field position and Tucker's going to probably have to kick some long field goals. Um, and all those things would have to happen, you know, simultaneously in terms of just um, giving them an opportunity to win. I just, I just think that the Bengals are, their offensive firepower is too good. They've got too many wide receivers. Um, they can score in, in a heartbeat. And it's going to be it's going to be tough. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, I signs are pointing to Lamar not playing. Um, he hasn't 
I don't know what he's doing. I'm guessing he's somehow rehabbing. I don't know if he's throwing footballs or, you know, taking snaps or, I mean, you know, somewhere where nobody can see him. I'm not sure what's going on. It hasn't really been discussed, but I know that he hasn't been on the practice field. So, Right. Roger? <clears throat> well, the, the uh, it's it's going to be interesting uh, because uh, if, if they do, if the Ravens do lose and he doesn't <laughs> play, I think that will also – influence the decision that we've been talking about yeah I, I, again i i think that you know there's going to be some awfully bumpy roads ahead um you know in this organization in terms of them making a decision on you know do, do they want to pay the guy the money how much money are they going to pay him is it going to be guaranteed how long's the contract you know um if we don't sign him then obviously you, you go back to square one as you mentioned do you draft the quarterback do you sign a free agent do you make a trade for a guy like Derek Carr, do you, what do you do? You know, you're going to probably need another offensive coordinator that is going to have to completely run a different style of offense that's probably more balanced in terms of passing and run. Um, you know, you've you've set this personnel up for the last five years to, to be effective for Lamar, and, and you know, that's going to be a, a problem. And I think the signing of Roquan Smith, to me, means um, a very high level of commitment in making that defense better in an yeah. effort to cover the offensive gaps that are going to occur after this. Doug, we talked in the first half hour of the show uh, when we were talking National Football League exclusively. Uh, the type of league that it is in 2022-2023, uh, like Minnesota, Roger brought it up, what they lose, four games all year. But you don't know the Minnesota is a four-lose team. I mean, they may play like a eight-lose team. I mean, the, the the way the teams are playing sure. is so uh, unusual in terms well, of the National Football League. You never know whether anybody's going to play up the expectations. For sure, I think that I think Tampa Bay was a, was a tremendous uh, letdown this year, and I got news for you. I think the Cowboys got lucky in terms of of being able to play Tampa Bay in the first round because I don't think the Cowboys are very good myself. Um, I agree. You know, I I think the Eagles are are the class. Um, Minnesota, they they won a whole bunch of games that were that were close that that obviously could have gone the other way. I, I think the AFC is the better of the two conferences, and I think that you know Buffalo, Cincinnati, and, and Kansas City uh, overshadow that of pretty much most of the other teams. So, um, yeah. Roger. Hey, listen, I I, I got to tell you, we got a, uh, a a special guest on right now for a couple of minutes at the end. David Berger is the seventh grade girls basketball coach for Hendricks Middle School. They played South Fors- uh, Forsyth Middle School tonight, and I was there until the last 45 seconds, and Hendricks was up by three after not scoring in the first quarter. And David, is tell us what happened, Dave. So, yeah, Roger, we, you know, we didn't score in the whole first quarter, and I came to the bench at the end of the first. I said, hey, we just got to keep chopping. We just got to keep chopping. I mean, at that point, you literally got nothing to lose. So it was like, just got to keep chopping. They fought hard. We made it a seven-point game at halftime. Came out in the second half, and I said, you know, there's no there's no play. We get ten points and take a lead. We got to just keep working at it, keep chopping our way into it. And they fought hard. They fought like hell. They fought their tails off, and they worked it down. Um Got the lead by one point, and then like Roger, like just like you were saying, we took a three-point lead, 
We got into foul trouble, uh, put a couple girls on the line. They got a couple really good shooters, made a couple good plays. Um, they had a girl get an easy bucket, and then a girl missed uh, on two free throws, missed one, made the second one, so that tied the game. But then at the same time, when um, when it was getting close to halftime, or sorry, getting close to the end of the game, we're getting down to it, and it's tied 20 to 20. And Hold it, folks. We're out of time in this segment. Yeah, our time Roger, is up Roger, for tonight. Roger, I'll let you close it out. Show up. Yeah. yeah so but congratulations, say, Coach. I appreciate it. Went to overtime one by three. So Congratulations. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you. Okay. okay All right, Don, Frank, it's in count. your hands, partner. Thank you, Frank. God bless. Thanks for the picture of the baby. Adorable. God bless. Thanks a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a privilege to work each and every night with some grateful appreciation. The number one in the United States Armed Forces and the number one police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please take the time to say hello to them, to shake your hand, or just give them a nod. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcott, David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazid, Sergeant Thomas Bager. Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childress, San Diego, Officer Mike Hemmer, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Sergeant Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris Lilly, Oakbrook County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman and Officer Chris Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Laterno, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Arthur Pope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Steve Al Hogle, Longwood Key Police Department. Steve Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. <coughs> Deputy Mike Hargrave, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Blaine Lane, Polk County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Chris Myers, Polk County Sheriff's Department. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, sometime we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the hallow of his hands. Good night. God bless and have a great week. Shemarek ma'yelama Shemahezahilma Suna shenevoratfet Hakuigaget ma'yelama Thank you.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.